0: Praise God. Praise God. Let's open our Bibles up to Jonah chapter 4 for our scripture reading. This morning, Jonah chapter 4. If you're visiting with us and you're not familiar with scripture, you can find this text on page 775 in the Bible that's in the pew in front of you. We'll be reading the entire chapter of Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. So that he was faint and he asked that he might die and said it is better for me to die than to live but God said to Jonah do you do well to be angry for the plant and he said yes I do I do well to be angry angry enough to die and the Lord said you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night and I should not have pity on Nineveh that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also mush cattle let's pray Lord we come We recognize in ourselves many times having the heart of Jonah. We pray for Kevin as he comes to preach this morning that you would speak powerfully through the word and that your spirit would give him grace and strength to speak the truth clearly this morning and that we the people would be willing to hear it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good morning again, church. A couple weeks ago, Kurt uh, shared a uh, memory from his youth that was a vivid memory to, to him. I have one to share as well. Mine goes back a little further to the late 70s. Um, we were on our way home from church on a Wednesday night. I was probably eight or nine years old. My brother and I were sitting in the back of the Dodge Monaco station wagon facing backwards. It was, in, it was incredibly safe. And um, we actually... Uh, a few years ago found the owner's manual to the Dodge Monaco and were surprised to find out we in fact were not sitting in the back seat. We were sitting in the observation lounge. (laughs) And uh, we were high class and we didn't know it. So sitting in the observation lounge in the Dodge Monaco on our way home from uh, church there, my dad usually had WIBC on the radio. And anybody grew up with WIBC on the radio? I can still hear the news jingle when they would come on. And there was a news flash on, on our way home uh, that night. And uh, it was actually a report from uh, US military intelligence that they had ascertained uh, the, the first strike list, the cities that were on the first strike list, if the Soviet Union was going to make a preemptive nuclear strike on the United States. And Indianapolis was on that list. And that was terrifying to a young boy. I mean, this was a legitimate threat. This is not North Korea with some bottle rockets. This is, this is the Soviet Union, uh, who is every bit the military superpower that the United States is. And they had the power to destroy us. We had the power to destroy them. They were our enemy in every sense of the word. They were anti-American in every sense of the word, right? They, they, were, uh, they were anti-God, they were anti-Christian, they were anti-Bible, they oppressed their people. Uh, communism killed many more people in the 20th century than the Nazis did. They were just evil. And they were our enemy. And there was an abject hatred when I was growing up for the Soviet Union. Imagine, the the phrase, the phrase in the 70s was, I'd rather be dead than red, right? Imagine being a missionary candidate in the 70s in the United States of America, working your way through the Bible Belt of America, the Midwest, going from church to church, to raise support so that you could take the gospel uh, to Moscow, Russia. What do you think the response would have been in those churches? What do you think the success rate would have been for you raising support? At best, you would have been ridiculed. At worst, you would have been attacked. You would have been called a traitor. People would have said things like, how in the world could you go there? They are, God, they are our enemies. They do not deserve God's mercy. They deserve God's judgment. It would be better for all of us if they were just wiped off the face of the earth. And this, this pervasive attitude of hatred towards that country or that regime uh, is what I grew up with. That's about as close as I can get uh, to to understanding the backdrop of the book of Jonah and the the relationship between Israel and Assyria. And while it does not excuse Jonah's behavior in any way, it gives us some frame to understand it and then gives us uh, some backdrop to to, understand be introspective a little bit ourselves as to how this might apply to us here in the heartland of America in 2019. What we're going to see in Jonah 4 is God's heart and Jonah's heart. And um, uh, several of you have, have come up to me in the last couple of weeks knowing I was going to be preaching on Jonah 4 and and the, the, the basic idea of, of your encouragement to be was something like this, ah, Jonah 4, uh, good luck. Uh, I've been really encouraged by your support. I appreciate that. <clears throat> uh, Jonah 4 is, is, it's a tough, it's a tough read. When you, when you heard that read, did you wonder, what in the world do you do with that chapter? I mean, don't, don't you expect that you should turn the page and find Jonah 5, where Jonah comes to his senses and everything's great. Or maybe it should have just stopped at Jonah 3, where Nineveh repents. But no, we're given Jonah 4. And it just hangs in the air, this last question, should I not pity Nineveh? There's a very clear and important message in this text that is very uh, relevant to each and every one of us. And the main idea is this, God's people must share God's heart for those who still need God's mercy. And so the simplest of outlines this morning, uh, we're going to look at God's heart, we're going to look at Jonah's heart, and then we'll have a fair question, uh, which... (laughs) which heart looks more like mine. When I think about this text this morning, it's like we're looking through a window through these, these historical events that are taking place in the Old Testament. And have you ever looked through a window, maybe you're looking outside at your, in your front yard at your kids playing or something, and, and then somebody turns on a light behind you, and, and then you, you end up seeing your reflection, your focus shifts, and you see your reflection in the glass instead? Uh, That's what's going to happen in this text. We're going to look through the window at God's interaction with Jonah, but I I suspect the Spirit is going to turn on the light a few times and we're going to see our own reflection. And so let's look at God's heart first. And then we'll see the stark contrast in Jonah's heart. God's heart has been evident through the book of Jonah, right? We've seen his heart for Nineveh. We've seen his heart for Jonah We see his heart in responding to the repentance of Nineveh. And then we see his heart again in Jonah 4. But maybe the most interesting thing we see about the heart of God, or the description of God's heart here, comes from a very unlikely source. It comes from Jonah himself. Jonah, in verse 2, shares this incredible testimony about the heart of God. And he starts by saying, God, he gives a little bit of a backstory of the conversation he had with God when this whole thing started, and he said, God, I said that this was gonna happen in verse two. I said when this whole thing started that this was gonna happen. That that Nineveh was gonna repent. I, I said it was gonna happen, and so I fled, so it wouldn't happen. Because I knew. And then he gives us amazing testimony. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Isn't that amazing that those words come out of this prophet who has, has this attitude in this chapter? What Jonah is actually doing here is he is actually quoting the words of God himself back from Exodus 34. These words, God said to Moses as he was giving the law. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Jonah is quoting these words that would have been very familiar to him and very familiar to Israel. They are quoted again in the Psalms. They are quoted multiple times in the Prophets. So what was Jonah doing here? How could he have this attitude and say these words? If you look at the background of what's going on here, it is likely that Jonah is not entirely sincere here. Because Jonah leaves out the next phrase from Exodus 34. After God talks about his grace and his mercy, he says this, but I will by no means clear the guilty. Yes, I am merciful. Yes, I am gracious. But I am every bit as just and righteous and holy. Jonah leaves that out. It appears that Jonah is chiding God here. God, I know you're gracious, I know you're merciful, yada, 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 but I thought you were just. It's a very ugly thing. And yet, the words he speaks here are true. Regardless of how sincere they are, I think they still warrant our, our attention this morning because Jonah, Who had experienced the grace and mercy of God who knew of the grace and mercy of God didn't really understand it and that's what led to Jonah's heart being the way that it was and so I want to look at the heart of God here first before we look at the heart of Jonah and the first two things he says is that God is merciful and God is gracious we'll take those two together they are two sides of the same coin right If you've studied this before, you understand that mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. God is both. Aren't you glad that God is merciful? The scripture says that each and every one of us has sinned. Each and every one of us is guilty before a holy and perfect and righteous God. Each of us deserves the full wrath and judgment of that God. And that judgment will be poured out on someone. It'll be poured out on you. It'll be poured out on me. Or it'll be poured out on our substitute sacrifice. Jesus Christ and because of Jesus Christ we have received the mercy of God we do not get the wrath and judgment we deserve H- have we lost how amazing that is do we not need to be reminded over and over and over of the mercy of God But you know what he didn't stop at mercy aren't you glad that he didn't stop at mercy he didn't just say okay I'm not going to punish you for sin but, I, but I'm not doing anything else <laughs> I'm not gonna punish you for sin but hey when you die it's it's over you're just gonna fade away into nothingness not only did he give us mercy he gave us grace unspeakable grace Beginning with his son, who he gives to us as our Savior, as our Lord, as our friend who sticks closer than a brother, as our representative, as our high priest, as our advocate at the right hand of the Father. And then he gives us his spirit, which means a new heart, a new mind, a new life resulting in a joy and a peace and a hope that transcends circumstances but that's that's not where he stopped he then gives us eternal life so that death is no more death but resurrection to fullness of life god is merciful and god is gracious You know if you come here to Gray Road every week, whether we are in Genesis or Jonah or John or Jude, we will end up at Jesus. Because that is the focus of all scripture and that is the thing we need to be reminded of the most, the mercy and grace of God that has come to us through Jesus Christ. And if we forget that, church, or we don't fully understand it, we will end up with a heart like Jonah's. A man who knew the grace and mercy of God, a man who experienced the grace and mercy of God, and yet a man who was stingy with the grace of God for others. We know Jonah didn't understand grace and mercy because he looked at Nineveh and said, they don't deserve mercy implying that he did. Grace and mercy, the truth of grace and mercy is one of the most important distinctions of the Christian faith. In fact, it's, it's one of the things that affirm to us that the Christian faith is not a human invention because it's the only faith that gives humans no credit, no merit. We have no contribution to our salvation. It is all of sheer and utter mercy and grace. A true understanding of mercy and grace obliterates pride and self-righteousness. A true understanding of grace and mercy will never look at someone else and say I wish they would just get theirs. They don't deserve the mercy of God. They don't deserve the grace of God. Those people, if we have that attitude and we think that way, what we are saying is that we don't understand mercy and grace because what we are saying is that I deserve mercy and grace, and they don't. That is about as anti-Christ an attitude as we could have. Be reminded often of God's grace and mercy in your life And remember that that the core definition of grace and mercy is is founded in that word undeserved. We owe everything we are, everything we have to the grace and mercy of God. Just, you know, one practical way where where a lack of grace and mercy uh, shows up. Uh, I'm going to stop preaching and I'm going to start meddling. Unforgiveness. You know what unforgiveness is? Unforgiveness is a refusal to give grace and mercy to someone because you think they don't deserve it. When we refuse to forgive someone else, what we are saying is that, yes, God has forgiven me. I have received the grace and mercy of God, but they don't deserve grace and mercy. God has spanned this infinite gulf between me and him through Jesus Christ to give me mercy and grace. But that's not as big as the gulf between me and this other person and what they did to me. So I'm not going to forgive them. I'm going to withhold grace and mercy. It means I don't understand it. Have we forgotten that my sin put Jesus on a cross? We need to understand grace and mercy so that we can be gracious and merciful to others. The next two things it says I'll take together because they're just a repeat of the first two. Uh, God is slow to anger, which speaks of his mercy. He is abounding in steadfast love, which speaks of his grace. Excuse me. Just one word on this word anger. We rejoice that it's slow to anger. The word anger itself here is an interesting word in that in the Hebrew it is often translated nostrils because it's the type of anger where your nostrils are flaring. That's how angry you are. This is, we revel in the grace and mercy of God, but we cannot forget uh, the justice and judgment and wrath of God upon sin that will come, church. Aren't you glad that there's a long fuse, that he is slow to anger? If he was not slow to anger, we would all be done, right? He is slow to anger. And I know sometimes we look at the world around us and we see all the injustice in the world around us and all the terrible things going on. And we long to say, we say, you know, even so come Lord Jesus, we long for the day that God will make it all right and God will bring judgment on this earth and he will make it all right. But that's his job and not ours. Not only is salvation from the Lord, but judgment is from the Lord as well. Our ministry is not the ministry of judgment. It is the ministry of reconciliation. We are to seek God's grace and mercy for people. And every day God tarries his judgment is another day that your child can come to Jesus. Every day his, he is slow to anger is another day that your husband or your wife can come to Jesus, your family member, your co-worker, your neighbor. These nations that never have even heard the name of Jesus. And so while we long for the day that it'll all be made right, the timing of that and the execution of that is in the hand of God, we Are to be ministers of reconciliation to the world around us and to seek God's grace and mercy. The last thing Jonah says here, repeating the words of God, is that God is willing to respond to repentance. If you will repent, he will relent. That's individually and that's nationally. Jeremiah captures this exact sentiment in Jeremiah 18. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break it down and destroy it, if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. That should be our prayer for this nation, right? If this nation would repent, he would relent. I don't know what's coming on this nation. It's hard to imagine that that judgment isn't coming on this nation. But we need to be seeking repentance. is the same message that Jonah took to Nineveh. Knowing that God will respond to repentance with mercy and grace. The final thing we see about God's heart is still here in chapter 4, in that God doesn't give up on Jonah. God mercifully pursues Jonah here in chapter 4. Wouldn't you have been done with Jonah at this point? Aren't you glad that God doesn't write people off as quickly as we do? Can any of you testify of the fact that God has never given up on you, that God continues to pursue you Aren't you glad? The scriptures tell us that we must persevere to the end, but the only way we can do that is that God is persevering in us. He is not giving up on us. He continues to pursue us. He continues to convict us. He pursues Jonah here, and he gives them this object lesson, which is a very interesting one. And we could say many, many things about the plant. And many clever things about the plant but it's a basic object lesson that God is trying to expose Jonah's heart to him he causes this plant to grow up and give shade to Jonah at this point Jonah is sitting out this outside of the city pouting waiting that maybe you know he said 40 days and the 40 days wasn't up and so maybe You know, Nineveh's going to screw up and God will still destroy the city. He's just sitting out with his popcorn waiting for the fireworks. Pouting. Because the mercy of God has reached Nineveh. And God causes this plant to grow up over his head and give him shade. And now all of a sudden Jonah's the happiest person on the planet. Exceedingly glad. It's hard to capture how glad he was because of the plant. And then, of course, God destroys the plant, and, and Jonah responds like a three-year-old. What was God trying to teach Jonah? What was God exposing in Jonah's heart? He, he frames his, his object lesson with two questions, the same question. First, in his anger over Nineveh, do you do well to be angry? And then he says it again, do you do well to be angry about the plant? you know that's a great question the next time you are angry would you hear the words of God do you do well to be angry what percentage of your the times you are angry would you consider uh, them to be righteous and justified anger you know that most of our anger if you follow its, its path, really is directed at God because he is the one that allowed that circumstance in your life that you're angry about. He's the one that allowed that person in your life that you're angry about. You lost something that you think you deserve or you didn't get something you think you did deserve. All those things find their root in the sovereignty of God that has allowed that in your life. Most of our anger is directed at God. Do we do well to be angry? God says to Jonah, this, I gave you this plant, you, you didn't create the plant, you didn't cause it to grow, you didn't appoint its purpose, and yet you care so much about the plant. Should I not care about Nineveh? That great city, and, and remember from John last week that when it says a great city, that's not great from a human perspective, that's great in God's eyes. God said, I planted that city. I made that city grow. I appointed the purpose for that city. You care about the plant. Should I not care about Nineveh? God is exposing in Jonah's heart that Jonah has the wrong priorities. Jonah has many things in front of God in his heart. And that's what we will look at Next, Jonah's heart. <clears throat> Fair warning, I suspect the light will come on behind us and we might see a few of our own reflections in this. I certainly have. As I studied the background uh, behind what was going on here in, uh, in Jonah and studied a lot about Israel and Assyria it was clear that there there were several things in Jonah's heart that had replaced God. Things that in and of themselves were not bad things, but when when they are put in front of God's priority and they replace God's heart or God's mission or God's plan and purpose, they become a problem. The first thing that Jonah put first before God was his country. Jonah was an Israelite. If you were an Israelite, you were proud people. Jonah was, was a prophet in Israel. He was a patriot. In that, in that time, your country, your nation, was your identity. Jonah was a Jewish nationalist in today's language. And, uh, and so... Any, any enemy of Israel is an enemy of Jonah. And so what basically happened is Jonah's love for his country, in which there's nothing wrong with loving your country, but Jonah's love for his country skewed his perspective uh, towards God's love for the nations. And, and basically Jonah said, I don't care, God, what your plan is for Nineveh. I don't care what your mission is. I don't care what your heart is they are our enemy they do not deserve your mercy anything applicable there in 2019 heartland of America I love my country I consider myself a patriot I love this this weekend where we honor those who served our country if you have served our country, you have our, our gratitude. I love, I love our country, warts and all, and not just during the Olympics. <clears throat> and there's nothing wrong with loving our country, but if loving our country comes in front of God's heart for the nations, right, then that's a problem. Right? That, that's what was rampant in the 70s with the Soviet Union. It's still alive today, right? Pick an, pick an enemy of the United States and you'll hear things like this. I wish we would just drop a bomb on them, right? North Korea, Iran, pick one. And we'd all be better off. And remember Steve Wingate a few weeks ago? He said, he's, he's heard people say that about Iran and he's quick to remind them. Uh, Before you do that, you might want to think about the 10,000 underground churches in Iran where Christianity is exploding. How nearsighted do you have to be to put your country first before God's vision and God's mission for the nations? May it never be said of us. The second thing that Jonah put before God was, ironically, his religion. Israel was the chosen people of God. They were the the people of his covenants. They had the one true God. They had the, the tabernacle where the presence of God dwelled, at least for a time. They were his chosen people. He even gave them a sign of circumcision, right? And so their attitude... Jonah's attitude, Israel's attitude towards the nations was that we are the good ones, we are the chosen ones, and everybody else is pagan. Everybody else is those uncircumcised Gentiles. We hear, hear Hear what they're saying. We deserve the mercy and grace of God. They don't. And I'm sure I'm sure they framed it in very spiritual sounding language, right? For the for the glory of God. God show your justice and holiness by raining down fire and wiping these people out. Jonah put his religion first before God's heart for the nations. Church Christianity. If if your identity is in Christianity the faith or the religion rather than your identity being in Jesus Christ himself that your religion can become a problem especially when your religion it's it's the same language in the Old Testament Israel was the chosen people of God right we are the chosen people of God in the New Testament the church if we don't understand grace and mercy Our place as the people of God becomes prejudice towards other people and other religions. Or people involved in other sins. People involved in certain practices. People involved in certain lifestyles. That somehow the grace of God becomes a source of self-righteousness for us. That we somehow deserved that grace and mercy, but we don't seek it for others. And if you don't think that spirit is alive and well in the church today, he'll talk to our brother back here, this family that we have sent to parts unknown that of whom we do not speak and ask him what people have said to him about going to a Muslim country to share the gospel. Why in the world would you do that? It's almost an accusation of you're a traitor to the Christian faith if you go there. May it never be of us, church, right? If there is a, is a, is a person or a type of person or a religion or a country where in your heart you would say, you know, I I just assume they get theirs and that they be judged and there's no place for mercy and grace. What you're saying, you have the heart of Jonah. I deserve grace and mercy. They don't. Or certainly I deserve it more than they do. And now grace is no more grace to you because you have added your merit. Somehow you deserve the grace of God. We need to have a heart for the nation's We need to have a heart for those people who are involved in practices that we find an abomination. We need to have a heart for those people who are across the political aisle from us that we despise politically. We need to pray. If you cannot bring yourself to pray for someone, you're you're saying that they don't deserve the grace and mercy of God like I do. This is the heart of Jonah. You, you see, church. You know when when we see the, what the New Testament says about us as believers, and that if um, you know if God loves us now, uh, God has an eternal love, and, and that means He's always loved us, and He always will. And, uh, and and we see being the the you know the chosen people of God, being called by God uh, to be saved. As, as somehow that, that we have been given the grace and mercy of God and the gospel to, to somehow hoard that. <laughs> uh, we don't understand our salvation. We don't understand the heart of Jesus. We have been given grace and mercy in the gospel to be stewards of that, to be carriers of that. That's why God saved us. You don't take the grace of God and, <clears throat> and bury it. You share it. The third thing that Jonah put before God is his uh, reputation. Excuse me. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, God's, or Jonah put his reputation before God's. And Jonah was a prophet in Israel. Jonah's life as a prophet at this point is over. And Jonah is a man without a country at this point. He can't go home. He would be called either a traitor or a false prophet or both or worse. How in the world could you as a prophet of God go to our enemies and have a hand in their deliverance? You see why Jonah wanted to die here. His life as an Israelite, as a prophet, was over. And, and Spurgeon said, you know, Jonah's, Jonah cared much more about his reputation than God's reputation. Didn't really care that God was going to get great grace or great honor in the response of, of Nineveh. Jonah was much more concerned about his own reputation. See your reflection in this one? How many times have I not shared the gospel with someone because I, was care- I cared more about my reputation than God's? I didn't want to be labeled as one of those people. I didn't want people to ridicule me. You ever not shared the gospel with someone because you cared more about your reputation than God's? The fourth thing, Jonah puts personal comfort and safety before God, or before God's work. Jonah cared much more about the personal comfort of the plants than he did about what God was doing in Nineveh. Like John shared last week, Jonah was likely very concerned about his safety in going to Nineveh, and now would be concerned about his safety going back to Israel. He put his personal comfort and safety before what God was doing. You ever been called to go do something for God, to go somewhere, to be a part of a ministry, to be a part of a work, and yet you said no because your personal comfort and safety was more of a concern than the work that God was doing. You've not shared the gospel because you didn't want to be uncomfortable. This, Jonah's brutal to our pride and to our self righteousness. If we let the Spirit convict us. You see, what Jonah really wanted was a God in his own image. I read something this week that the first three chapters Jonah spent running away from God, in chapter four, he's, he's trying to run God. He wants to shape God in in the shape of his own prejudice. Uh, May that never be said of us, church. If you have been challenged and convicted uh, by uh, the the look here at at God's heart and Jonah's heart as I have, can I leave you with some encouraging words? These words that Jonah used here in verse 2 that are from Exodus 34 are quoted again in the book of Joel in a different context. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says this. The Lord is speaking. He says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord. Here it is. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. If your heart looks more like Jonah's heart than God's heart, God says, return to me, and you will find that I am still gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Be encouraged by that. If you've never come to Jesus, you can't return to him because you've never turned in the first place. Jesus spanned an infinite gap between us and God. By coming to Earth, because we could never get to God, He came to us, God in the flesh, bore God's judgment, after living a perfect life of righteousness, He spanned that infinite gap. But you know, the hardest part of salvation is it's the last 12 inches between what I know and what I believe. If you're like Jonah this morning and you know about the grace and mercy of God, but you've never experienced it, turn to Jesus. You will find that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Take one step towards Jesus this morning. Come talk to me after the service. Let me close with this thought. <clears throat> Many uh, people over the years <clears throat> have uh, asked Polly and I why we named our sons Noah and Jonah. They, they are squirming in their seats right now. For, Jonah, or for Noah, uh, we had been studying the covenants of the Bible and um, had studied the covenant with Noah and uh, just a picture of of the, of the ark and the picture of grace and mercy in the midst of God's judgment and, and the picture of Christ that is so clear in the ark. Um, the, the story of Noah really resonated with us, and, and so we named him Noah. And the, word, and the name Noah means rest, which was incredibly ironic because he spent the first five years of his life getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but what about Jonah. That's usually the one people are more interested about. What about Jonah? Because if you know the story, you know it doesn't paint a flattering picture. Uh, Jonah was more mine in that, that the, the story of Jonah has always resonated with me. The story of a very flawed man that God never gave up on. A very flawed man that God used for his glory. You see, I'd like to think that I'd be like the biblical Noah. I'd be that guy that was faithful to the end, 120 years building the ark, found grace in the eyes of the Lord, saved his family. I relate more to Jonah. Prone to wander. A very flawed man that God has not given up on. You see, I I think people think Noah's the, the good story and Jonah's the bad story, but look what happened. Noah did not have a single convert in 120 years and the whole world is destroyed. Jonah, in spite of himself, is faithful to preach the word of God and the greatest revival in human history takes place. Jonah gives me hope (laughs) that God can use broken, flawed people for his glory. So take comfort in that this morning. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your grace and your mercy. Remind us where we would be without it. Remind us that it is completely undeserved. Guard us from pride and self-righteousness. Give us your heart for the nations, for the sinful, for the lost, for those who are not like us, May we care more about your honor and your glory and your reputation than ours, than our personal comfort. Use us as broken, flawed people for your glory this week. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.